Go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians 3 if you haven't already turned there. Philippians 3, and we are really only going to be focusing on uh, verse 1 this morning, but I want to say to get us started where we will be going. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 7. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for your word, and we thank you uh, for this letter that you've preserved from your messenger, Paul, and how you've kept it for us, and it is, um, it is your word, and it's precious. Lord, we do want to be transformed by it. We thank you, Lord, for this command to rejoice in you. And I pray, Father, that you'd be uh, giving us uh, wisdom as we look at what that command means. We know, uh, Father, that I think that there's a certain tension when we talk about a command to feel. And I know that some of us, Lord, even come here this morning uh, with different weights and different burdens. And for some, Lord, this might be the last thing that they instinctively want to hear is a command to rejoice, a command to be happy when uh, their souls are even longing for that. Lord, so I do pray that this would be a refreshing morning uh, for everyone who is in your son, for those who do not yet know him, Lord, that they would uh, find just how appealing he is, how wonderful he is, how worthy of rejoicing uh, in he is. I pray, Father, for wisdom as we look at your word that we would be taught from it. Just thank you so much for this time that we get to open it. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians about rejoicing, they listened. See, when it came to rejoicing, Paul was more than an example. He was legend. Paul was legend when it came to rejoicing. See, I can imagine that new converts in the church at Philippi were told in what happened in the early days of the church. It was about 10 years previously when Paul and Silas and Timothy first preached the gospel in Philippi, and that church first started there. In fact, we know about that founding of that church in Acts 16. Huh? I'm going to read a few verses there. And to set the context, Paul had been preaching the, the gospel there. He cast out a demon from a, a, a girl who was a slave. And then kind of everything hits the fan after that. Acts 16, verses 19 and 25. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, this, this, this slave girl was, was, was telling fortunes, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. This is Acts 16, 19 and 25. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them, proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. 
And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I'll read the last verse again. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I can imagine the Philippian jailer, his family members who believed in Christ that night, telling that story to every new believer that they met, right? Right when that church was founded, this incredible night when that jailer heard singing in prison from people who had been beaten with rocks, right? And that's what I'm talking about, Paul being a legend in rejoicing. So when Paul wrote to the Philippian church about rejoicing, they listened. And Paul's letter to the Philippians overflows with this testimony of rejoicing. We've seen that again and again. I think it's, 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 it's worth running through quickly. In Philippians 1.4, Paul tells the Philippians how he prays for them with joy. He t- says that he's always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now, this is while Paul is writing this from prison in Rome. So here he's writing to people who, some of whom remember him rejoicing while in prison, and he's writing this while in prison in Rome again for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Paul rejoiced again, while, while, uh, so while in prison, he says in uh, Philippians 1, 18 to 19, that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He rejoiced that Christ was being proclaimed while he was in prison. He's not thinking about himself and woe is me. He's rejoicing that Christ is being proclaimed outside of the, the prison walls there in Rome. And then he continues in verse 18 and 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, for my salvation, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep rejoicing because I know that this is going to end up in my salvation. Philippians 1 verse 25. The purpose of Paul continuing in living as much as was dependent upon him, it wasn't like he was going to choose, am I, am I going to choose to go to heaven or to stay here? But he says, but if I had the choice, I would choose to stay with you, even though heaven is better by far. He says, why? In Philippians 1.25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He was going to keep ministering to the Philippians for their joy. So here's someone in prison writing with joy, rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed, praying with joy, ministering in joy. And then he encourages them on the basis of his joy in Philippians 2.2. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent to one purpose. He's like, you can make my joy complete, you can add to my joy. And in Philippians 2.17-18, he talks about his potential death. And he's like, I'm okay with dying. I'm, I'm okay being added on to the sacrifice the sacrificial service of your life. And he says, but even if I am, Philippians 2, 17 to 18, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you to rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. This letter is all about rejoicing. And so it's really not a surprise when, and, and here I turn the page and see another one. He talks about in Philippians 2.28, we looked at that last week, how they would have joy when Epaphroditus comes back to them. So it's not a surprise if you see, you know, 10, ver- 10 references to joy in the first couple chapters. When he gets to Philippians 3.1 and he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. The letter's all about the Philippians' need for joy. 
See, because as you read through this letter, you see that the church was facing some discouraging things. The church was being persecuted by society around them for their allegiance to Christ. They were facing opposition as they stood firm in the advance of the gospel. But they were also struggling internally, too, as there was disunity and, 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 and some discord within the church. It was a church that needed to rejoice. So, when Paul, who famously sang in the middle of night, wall in stocks after a brutal beating, says, Rejoice in the Lord, the Philippians listen. By God's grace, we'll listen this morning too, right? Today we're going to answer two questions about rejoicing in the Lord, so that we too will rejoice. This morning we're going to look at, we're going to answer two questions about rejoicing in the Lord, so that we too will rejoice. Now, I'm going to say this, even if we don't feel like it. So that we'll rejoice even if we don't feel like it. Some of you may be here this morning feeling like, I, I have never felt so flat. Like, like, I can't remember the last time I felt good. But you can still rejoice in the Lord if you're in Jesus Christ this morning. And we're going to look at that together. So, as we look at the text in Philippians 3.1, he begins, finally. And that finally, almost famously, doesn't mean finally, right? Because he's only halfway through his letter. The word translated finally in the Greek has the idea of what's left. You could perhaps translate it in a less confusing way as furthermore or in addition or even well then. But finally gives you the idea like, uh, what's going on here, Paul? Like, I thought we were going to say goodbye. So with his... And now for the rest, is kind of what he's saying there, Paul begins a section in which he warns the Philippians against false teachers. And we read some of that. He warns against the false teachers who were really teaching that Christ wasn't enough for a joy-filled Christian life, that they needed to add on to Christ. And in the upcoming weeks, we're going to keep coming back to this command in chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to see how the truths that, 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 that Paul unwraps are central to our joy. But today, we're just going to take that kind of dis, deceitfully simple command and only focus on chapter 3, verse 1, and this command to rejoice. Now, perhaps that command to rejoice seems counterintuitive to you. How can I be commanded to feel something? Rejoice now! Right? You're like, ah, okay, I'll try. It leads to our first question. How can I be commanded to rejoice? How can I be commanded to rejoice? And if you have a bulletin, there's, there, 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 there's, there's notes there. How can I be commanded to rejoice? And we're, we're, we're going to kind of answer this, this, this question by, by looking at four different points. And we're going to look first at what does that, 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 that word mean? What does that command mean to rejoice? And the meaning of the word rejoice is not going to be surprising to you. It's to be in a state of happiness. Well-being is what one lexicon says, a Greek dictionary. Another one says to be glad, to be delighted. Our English dictionary basically says the same thing with the English translation of the word rejoice. To feel or show great joy or delight. Some synonyms would be to take delight in, to pleasure in. To feel satisfaction and to find joy in. It's a very emotional word. Rejoice. I think that we can uh, help ourselves understand this word by looking at just a few quick 
uh, portions from narratives how this word is used. And, and, and narratives are, are, are the stories or the history in, 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 in God's word. So in Matthew 2.10, when the wise men saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They had found what they were looking for. They saw the star and they rejoiced. Luke 15, verses 5 and 6. And I know we're not getting into the context of all of these. It's just examples of the word rejoicing. It's uh, the uh, 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 parable there of the lost lamb. The person, the shepherd says, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. He, why did he rejoice? Because he found it. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. I've got good news to tell you. I found something, so I'm rejoicing. Now I want you to come and rejoice with me over something found. Mark 14, verse 11. It's more of a, a, a dark side on the word joy, but it has the same idea. Uh, it's when Judas is willing to betray Jesus. They were glad when they heard this. They rejoiced when they heard this and promised to give him money. And he began, Judas, seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. They rejoiced because they heard good news for them. Right? That they were going to be able to capture Jesus. Luke 13, 17 says that the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by Jesus. All the miracles that they'd done. They saw something that they responded to with joy. John 20, 20. What, what more joyful thing than this? When he had said this, he showed them, Jesus showed them both his hands and his side after his resurrection. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So I think what we, we see with these examples here is exactly what we'd expect with the word rejoice. It's responding to something good, whether it's good news or something that's found that was lost, something that was seen that was amazing. This is all very natural. It's very instinctive. Whether something new and exciting, receiving good news, or finding the something. Now, I bring this up because many people and, 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 and many commentaries will try to distinguish between rejoicing and being happy. That happiness is based on circumstances. But I think what we just showed in those verses there is that's a perfectly fine use of the word rejoicing. It is on circumstances. They found things that they were excited about. They saw something. They, they heard good news, and so they rejoiced. So I don't want to make too big of a distinction between rejoicing and being happy. I think it's a very similar feeling. Now, we're going to go, go, go beyond that, but I think that, 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 that that's a good place to start. Now, that's what the word rejoice means, but, but there's also a command to rejoice. And in the Greek, it's a present active imperative. Okay? The imperative part just means it's a command. God commands us to rejoice. The active part means that it's not passive. Rejoicing is something active, something that you choose to do. If it were passive, it would just be, I'm just going to sit here and let myself be rejoiced. I'm just going to let joy wash over me. I think that's sometimes how we think about rejoicing, right? Like, like if something would just amazing happen in front of me, I would be happy. But it's not passive. It's active. It's something that we need to do. We need to rejoice. It's a command. It's active. And it's present. Rejoicing isn't an occasional thing. We should be in the habit of rejoicing. It is an ongoing thing. 
an ongoing command. It's a command that we're to return to many times a day. Now, Scripture doesn't say how many times a day we are supposed to rejoice, but it's a habit, much like giving thanks. You're like, well, I gave thanks once today. I'm not going to go back to that. Okay? It's a habit. I think a similar habit, something that we do many times a day, is picking up our cell phones, right? Or, or, or unlocking them. I've got this cool feature you can just touch the back and it unlocks, right? Like, I think that that is the kind of habit you're talking about. Now, you might go to do that for many, many reasons, to, to check scores or for an email or for a text, to check the time. But it's that habit of doing it again and again. It's in the present tense. That's what rejoicing in the Lord is like. It's an oft-repeated, throughout-the-day action. So, we're commanded to keep rejoicing. Now, I think as we even start with that, we're, we see some of the difficulties of this, uh, uh, of this command. And so, that's where we're going to look next. So, first, if you're taking notes, we just looked at the meaning. And now, we're going to at, look at two difficulties with being commanded to rejoice. And honestly, I know that it's right there, right? Even in the way that's phrased. There's difficulties with being commanded to rejoice. The first difficulty is that humans are complex. We experience many emotions, right? Someone may say, I don't always feel happy. So being commanded to rejoice is, is difficult. We see many examples of those in, in scripture, we see Jesus, who is the perfect human, weeping. In Luke 19.41, he weeps over the future destruction of Jerusalem. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. We hear of Jesus weeping at the death of Lazarus at the whole funeral scene. It says in John 11.33-35, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He was troubled in spirit. Jesus, Jesus was perfect. He was someone who rejoiced in the Father. But he still had emotions. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 136, my eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. Or Jeremiah in Lamentation 3, 48 to 49. My eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping. And there uh, uh, the prophet Jeremiah was mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming. We are complex emotional beings that have complex emotions. We've seen some of those from Paul in Philippians 2. At the end of, of the last chapter, he talks about how he was thankful that God spared Epaphroditus' life so that he wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. He was already in a state of sorrow. And he's like, I don't want any more sorrow upon that sorrow. Later in chapter 3, we're going to read in verses 18 and 19, how Paul says, For many walk of whom I often told you now, I tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So you can see, being God's person involves deep emotions. We, we, we shouldn't get confused that it's all smiles and, and bubbles. Right? That we should respond in heartbroken ways to heartbreaking things. In fact, Jesus commanded 
well, or at least taught, but it's implied command here, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So how can we be commanded to rejoice when there's so much to mourn over? When there is our sins and the sins of those around us, the death of loved ones, the death of our enemies, the fact that this world is going to be judged and that millions will be apart from God forever. How can we just rejoice? I think that's some of the complexities, some of the difficulties with this, with this command. I think we have to move it past simply a feeling. The second difficulty we saw in some of the uh, earlier examples that we looked at where the word rejoice was used, some of those narratives, and that's that we rejoice instinctively, right? We rejoice instinctively at all kinds of things. Something surprising and good happens and we rejoice. If you walk out and find a $100 bill folded up on the ground, you would rejoice, Right? We, 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 all kinds of good things can happen to us. And we just instinctively rejoice. We don't have to say, soul, you really should be happy here. Like, like we just know it's good news. Now, unless you're a vegetarian, you don't need to be told to rejoice in a steak. You smell the smoke and you hear the sizzle and you feel the, the slight resistance as knife slices that juicy meat. You taste the salty, buttery hotness. Does any, do you have to say, I really should be rejoicing now? Right? You're rejoicing even when you don't have the steak. It's instinctive. And we are facing just some of the complexity of, 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 being, of being human. We respond well to new things. We are people who can be stimulated. So what happens when rejoicing isn't our instinct? When something isn't new, it's not as exciting as it once was. It's not as fresh, it's not as stimulating, it's not invigorating. We have to choose to rejoice. We have to choose to rejoice. And so all of this is under that, that, that first question there. But next in your outline points is choosing to rejoice. As we explore this, this, this question of how can I be commanded to rejoice, and we have to choose to rejoice. Now, I honestly have never spent so much time thinking about rejoicing because it, it is a little confusing, right? We are these emotionally complex people. Uh, we deal with many sad things, discouraging things. We have burdens. We have weights. Um, and we also know that, 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 that sometimes it's very easy to rejoice in things that are very mundane, and yet we can look at these, these incredible spiritual truths. We can open up our Bibles and we don't feel joy. So what does it mean to rejoice? How can we be commanded to rejoice? We have to choose to rejoice. So I've tried to understand rejoicing, and I've dissected it probably too much, but I hope that this is beneficial for you. I think that rejoicing includes giving our attention to something, approving of it, and responding appropriately. Okay? And we're going to see some examples of this. Okay, we give our attention to something. We approve of it. And we respond appropriately. Now, with the physical world, there's no need to command to rejoice. When we walk outside, 
and feel the warmth of the sun in spring. I'm going to say spring because it's still nice. You know, sometimes you get in the point of summer and you're like, I don't know what my feelings are about this currently. But when it's still nice outside, right, and, and it's a brisk morning, you go outside, and somehow, Southern California is amazing. When, when it's like 60 degrees out, the sun's still hot, but you go out into the sun. When you walk out, you give your attention to it. It may not be a lot of attention, but you notice it, right? You notice it and you approve of it. You're like, oh, that's nice. And you respond appropriately. Maybe it's a smile, a stretch. I don't know. You just kind of like, I just want to soak that in. Not for too long, not long enough to get cancer, but just, just take it real quickly, right? You, you appreciate it. Uh, you give attention to it. You approve of it. And then you respond. Now, I think it's true of many things that we see and experience. The color and design of fabrics. I've never sewn anything in my life. I don't plan on it. But if you've ever been into a fabric store, it has a beauty to it. Like, I, I even like seeing, um, I don't know if I should say this out loud, but, but, but like occasionally, you know, I'll see like fabrics. I'm like, those are beautiful. Yeah, I probably shouldn't say that. We, we, we have that smell of, you know, the once yearly rain, which is like, oh, it smells so good. Or, 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 or that look of like when the wind blows and all of a sudden you can see there are mountains out there. And not just that color. When you, you feel or hear the splash of the waves or the feel of sushi on your tongue, right? Is it kind of, I don't know if you kind of mash it a little bit, but, but, it, but it's nice for some of us. See, all of those things, I think that, I think that we do that, that same process with. We, we, we give our attention to it. It might be super quick. We approve of it, and we respond appropriately. We enjoy it. We talk about how good it is. We say thank you. We, we stare at it a little bit longer. All of those things are appropriate responses. See, but this command in Philippians 3.1, it requires our obedience Right? We're commanded to do this. And that suggests that it's something that we intentionally have to do. We have to bend our will to do this. We have to choose to do this. So imagine being commanded to rejoice in a flower. Now some of you, approximately half the audience, can be just fine with that. But the other half the audience, like maybe you're not a flower guy, are commanded to rejoice in a flower. Now we don't have that, I don't think that command in scripture. But let's just say, Dennis, you are commanded to rejoice in a flower. I don't know why I signal you out, but you're receiving Sagana. You are commanded. You're like, I don't really like flowers. I'm not a flower guy. But you are commanded to. So we just got to all, all, all suspend our, our disbelief for a minute. You're commanded to rejoice in a flower. So if you say, I have to rejoice in a flower. I've never looked at a flower before. I've never stopped. I've never smelt a flower. I have to rejoice in this flower. You've, you've never noticed a flower before. Now, that's not a criticism on you. But now you're commanded to. So when we choose to obey this imaginary command to rejoice in the flower, what's, this, what's it going to take? It's going to take Dennis, who suddenly became part of my sermon. Sorry, Dennis. Taking that flower and giving his attention to it, right? He's going to have to look at that flower. Like, I've got no thing. I don't feel this. So how am I going to do this? I'm going to have to give my attention to that flower. And he might notice its structure and think about the biology class from who knows how long ago and what the individual parts of the flower are called. Maybe in, in this giving attention, he might smell that flower. He might look and say, well, this is different from other flowers that I've seen. He might look at it and say it has a certain, a certain color to it. And see how that color changes even in the same flower? And all of a sudden, he did something. 
he, he, he went from noticing to approving of it, right? He, he notices and saying, well, God, God made this flower. This flower is good. I don't get as excited about it as some people. This is a good flower. And then he responds appropriately. Maybe he smells it again. Maybe he picks that flower, gives it to someone. Now, notice that rejoicing requires an appropriate response. If he were to go through all that and then take that flower and smash it underneath his foot, is that rejoicing in it? No, he, he appreciated it. He even maybe approved of it. But his response was not appropriate to it. right? So, so he fell short of rejoicing in it because his response to it wasn't an appropriate response. So rejoicing, I would add to that. So it's giving attention, it's approving, it's responding appropriately. But I would say that, 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 that there's purpose too. And when you rejoice in something, it is for the purpose of receiving joy. It's for the purpose of receiving joy. Uh, some of you know that eggs are not my favorite. Uh, I can give my attention to a fried egg. I can approve of it in a very intellectual way. Like, oh, wow, someone did a good job cooking that egg. Look, the yolk is still nice. It even has a nice color to it. Uh, I can vow to never eat that egg, which for me is a very appropriate response with an egg because I despise eggs. But I didn't rejoice in the egg. I inspected it. I studied it. But rejoicing in the egg would require Faith, right? It would require for me to at least suspend my disbelief that that egg could be delicious, right? That that egg could give joy to my taste buds instead of a gag reflex. I would have to willingly go past my past experiences. And I would have to go to that and say, I'm going to look at this for the purpose of joy. And maybe if I tried really hard, I could find some joy in it that God's a good giver of this egg for other people. Or that can make a great cake if it weren't fried. So that's how I'm thinking about that choosing to obey. And we're going to talk what we should rejoice in with our next question. But I think that that's what choosing to obey is. It's giving our attention to something. It's approving that it is good, it is affirming it, it's responding appropriately for the purpose of finding joy. Now, I've got a few observations here about this being commanded to rejoice. So because rejoicing is a command, we can be confident of our ability to truly rejoice, if not perfectly. No matter your emotional state as you come here this morning, you can rejoice in the Lord Jesus if you are in Christ. You have the ability to obey this command. See, and I think that the fact that this is a command is very encouraging. He's not just saying, if you feel like you're, you can rejoice, if you've had a great day, you can rejoice. But this is a command. This is something that we can do if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have believed in him, if you have come to the end of yourself, if you had said that Jesus is worth more than anything else, that I have no hope of, of being reconciled to God except his death in my place, if you go to him saying, I need Jesus, if you have that new life, 
If you're that, the good news is you're no longer a slave to sin. You are a slave of righteousness, and you have the capacity to obey. You have the ability to rejoice in the Lord. You can give your attention to him. You can approve of him. You can respond appropriately to him in the pursuit of God-glorifying joy. That's good news. You can obey this command. And like this is where, where, where you, you start separating a little bit. If it were just to be happy, oh, I don't know if I can obey that. Rejoicing, we can do that if you're in Christ Jesus. Now, here's something else. Because rejoicing is a command, rejoicing is not a matter of your personality. Rejoicing is not a matter of your personality. It's another observation I have there. Some people naturally have a lighter, more optimistic disposition. Some are more naturally downcast and pessimistic. But every saint is commanded to rejoice regardless of the disposition that you have. Our natural disposition doesn't give us a pass on obedience. Rejoicing is not a matter of disposition, but of God-empowered discipline. It is a matter not of disposition, but of sanctification. So being, since rejoicing is a command, it's not a matter of personality, neither it's a matter, it's not a matter of circumstances either. There may be times in which it may be easier to rejoice. You've, you've had a great night's sleep, eight hours, nine hours, ten hours. I don't know how much it takes for you. You are well rested. You wake up. The sun is shining. You have a cup of really good coffee. You open God's word. Nice psalm, not one of those imprecatory ones. The great psalm. And just, just every word is just bouncing right off the page. You give attention to it, you approve of it, and you actually feel joy, right? But it's not based on your circumstances. You may have a completely different, you may have had a different morning. You wake up heavy-hearted. Maybe you went to bed after hearing heart-crushing news, and you hardly slept. When you wake up, all of that comes back to you again. You didn't escape it, it wasn't a dream. You've got no appetite. You feel no natural joy. And rejoicing is hard work. You struggle to open God's word. Instinctively, you don't want to do that. It's hard to do. And as you read it, you feel like your eyes are just blurry. Like they might as well be covered with mud as you try to read God's word. But you're giving your attention to what it says. And you do approve of it, even if it is in a dark hour. And you say, yes, Lord, I know that you are a rock, and I know that you're faithful, and I know that you're good. And that response may not be a feeling. You may not feel better, but you can still respond appropriately as you did pursue joy in him. You can respond appropriately saying, Lord, I'm going to cling to you today. I'm going to put my hope in nothing else. I am just desperate. I, I'm holding on by, by, by a string, but I'm going to cling today. See, it's not dependent upon your circumstances. Both of those are rejoicing in the Lord. One of those is not rejoicing more because of a better circumstance or a better feeling. Both of those are done in obedience. So it's not a matter of our personality. It's not a matter of our circumstances. And, and, and I think we kind of have covered this a little bit. It's not limited to when we feel happiness. We can rejoice when we feel sorrow. 
right? Because this is a matter of obedience. We can rejoice when we suffer physical pain. We can rejoice when the church is going through conflict. You can rejoice when you're being persecuted. You can rejoice even as you're repenting from sin. Even in those moments that you see yourself exposed, you're like, oh, I've wandered far from the Lord. You can still rejoice. In fact, you're commanded to rejoice. The Philippians, through what they were going through in their church in Philippi, could rejoice. They were going through, at least it seems like, real persecution. They, 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 they had sisters who just wouldn't even, it appears they didn't even want to talk to each other in their church. Paul has to plead for them to be unified. Paul and Silas could rejoice while in prison. After being beaten with rods. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our personality. So to summarize, rejoicing is to give attention to, to approve of, to respond appropriately as we pursue joy. Now, Paul just doesn't say rejoice. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he does. So that's not bad. He could have said rejoice, and I think we would have figured out what we should rejoice in. But he makes it super clear for us in, in Philippians 3.1. This brings us to our second question. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? And we have to ask the question, who is the Lord here? And is it, is it referring to the Lord as God? Or is it referring specifically to Jesus Christ? And I think that it's specifically referring to Jesus Christ in Philippians 2.11, Paul talked about that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of Father. And that was a big deal because he talked about God giving him the name which is above every name. And it says that name is Jesus Christ is Lord. In Philippians 2.19, he kind of builds upon that. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus. There he puts the Lord with Jesus together. Philippians 2.24, he doesn't. He says, I trust in the Lord. Philippians 2.29, he says, receive him then in the Lord with all joy. So he doesn't say Lord Jesus every time. But I think building upon that, you would look at the previous references. And he's referring to the Lord Jesus, I think. Later, we see that, that the next reference of the Lord is 3.8. And he calls, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that's the, the, the only time where, where, where Paul says that, Christ Jesus, my Lord is a sweet phrase. So I think here he's specifically saying, rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't rejoice in the triune God. It doesn't mean we shouldn't rejoice God as revealed in, in the Old Testament. The Psalms are books full of rejoicing in God. They're, 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 they're books of people who turn their attention to him in the darkest of times. They, they confess their approval of him. They praise him. But I do think Paul specifically here is calling us to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm less certain of the second part, but I think, and, 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 and most commentaries seem to lean this way, as I think on the phrase rejoice in the Lord, Paul is, specific, is specifically has a mind rejoicing in your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, rejoicing in your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessings which have been communicated to you by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Those that belong to you who are in Christ Jesus. See, he says in 
Philippians 3, 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And even there in that phrase, he's writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Those that he shares that relationship of adoption with, who together are God's children because of their faith in God's son. So I think we can build upon our definition of what rejoicing is and make it more specific to this verse. To rejoice in the Lord is to pursue joy by turning your attention to what God's word says about your relationship to Jesus Christ. To turn your attention to what God's word says about your relationship to Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he's done. So turning attention again, approving of the goodness of the person and work of Jesus Christ, and then responding appropriately. So turning your attention to what God's word says about your relationship to Jesus Christ because of who he is and what he's done, approving of the goodness of the person and work of Christ, and then responding appropriately. And those responding appropriately could be many. Thanking him, trusting in him, waiting upon him, expressing our need for him, seeking after him, longing for him, hoping in him, repenting from sin. But failing to respond, I would say, is failing to rejoice. Right? There's, there's something missing. If, 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 if you're going to think about Jesus Christ, about, about his sacrifice for you, or about his lordship and his authority, and, and say, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to approve of it. Yeah, it's good. Thank you, God. And even, th- even if you thank him is a response. But you need to respond appropriately. If you're thinking about his authority, it's going to be about a, his obedience. If you're thinking about him being shepherd, you're going to follow him. I think that's joy being followed through, rejoicing being followed through. So rejoicing in the Lord is meditating upon Christ in you, the hope of glory, as it says in Colossians 1.27. It's not simply an academic pursuit, but to do so in the pursuit of, of happiness, even if that feeling doesn't come, saying, I do want joy, and I'm going to put my attention and my approval, and I'm going to respond appropriately on Christ in me, the hope of glory. So when Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. He is inviting you to a buffet of joy. It is a massive spread of doctrinal joy. Huge buffet. It's a rejoicing feast. And there's like hundreds of different dishes. I was going to say it's the golden corral of joy, but I don't know if that's a good idea. If you've ever been to a golden corral, it's not a good idea. If you are a believer in Christ... You have, it says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ is wisdom from God. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. Christ is our redemption. I know that those are, are big words for some of you. But that's just one aspect of Christ. You could spend, spend a lot of time rejoicing in the Lord there. He's my righteousness. I needed righteousness. I was a banker before God. I was a sinner. I needed to be made right with him. He's my redemption. He's rescued me from slavery to sin. But that's just one table, right? There's also a table of Christ in all of his roles. Christ as our shepherd. Christ as our king. Christ as our high priest. Christ as our brother. Christ as our husband. Christ as our master. Christ as our sacrifice. There's there's a whole other table of joy there. There's the I am statements in John. That Jesus is the bread of life. That Jesus is the light of the world. That Jesus is the door, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the true vine. There's a whole other table to feast at. 
And, 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 and I know you probably can't write all these down right now, but it's good for you to be building a list of these so that when you need to rejoice in the Lord, you just don't say, oh, well, thank you for dying for my sins. And that's a great thing to do. See, but rejoicing, and, and it's interesting in Scripture, it's different from just thanking. And I think it's because it requires that attention and that approval and that responding with a pursuit of joy. So, so, so you should be, as you go through God's word, manicuring a long list of these. You know, get a giant menu of things to rejoice in. We can rejoice that in Christ there is no condemnation, Romans 8.1. Galatians 5.1, in Christ there is freedom to obey. 2 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ you are a new creature. Oh, Ephesians 1, right there. You've got so much to rejoice in right in Ephesians 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 3, that in Christ we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4, in Christ we were chosen to be holy and blameless. Verse 5, we, through Christ we were chosen and we were adopted as sons. And then there's Ephesians 1, 7. Listen to this. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Right? Like that's enough for a meal right there. Grab a great big plate of Ephesians 1, 7. And, 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 and sniff that aroma in. And taste it bite by bite. Savor that. To rejoice in the Lord is to find feast after feast in the Gospels. To think about Jesus' miracles. You can rejoice in the Lord as you're falling asleep. Just think about all of his miracles. The fact that he called Lazarus from the dead. That he fed, oh, much more than 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. That he healed blind Bartimaeus. That he calmed the storm with his words. Right? Like that's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Not, not just to say those things, but to, but, 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 but to give attention to them. And approve of them. To respond so that you can be happy in them. To rejoice in the Lord is to think about Jesus' interactions with people. How, how sweet it is that with a paralytic that was lowered from the ceiling, he forgives his sins. Right there, Jesus forgave his sins. Or how he had no reason to, but he touched a leper. He had no reason I mean, the clean Jesus couldn't become unclean in a sense. But he touches like He didn't have to do that. Why, why, why does he do that? It shows so much about him that he commands the despised Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. That he calls Zacchaeus out of that tree and says, I'm coming to your house. That he had compassion on the sheep without a shepherd. That that, that thief on the cross who had who, who knew that he was guilty, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. These are the things that we have to have a giant long list of so we can be rejoicing in the Lord always. And we're going to get to that in, in Philippians 4. This is not just a sometimes thing. This is rejoicing in the Lord always. See, to rejoice in the Lord is to take even one of these truths, one of these events, one of the sayings of Christ from, from, from this huge buffet that is Christ and to turn our attention on it, to meditate on it, and to approve of its goodness, to respond appropriately. Now, I think, and I, and I honestly, have I've tried to rejoice in the Lord in the past, I've been too lazy. I've been too lazy. What I do is say, Jesus, 
thank you for being the good shepherd. And, and that's fine, right? We can thank him. Thank you for forgiving me. And thanking him is good. But I think, I think that we need to do more if we're going to rejoice. So think about when you, and, and, and some of you, wait. Now, I can be a little bit of a hoarder when it comes to, to the perfect time to eat something. Like Reese Cups. I don't know if any of you like Reese Cups. Uh, you know, sometimes when they're in sale, I'll buy, buy a couple packs. There's a funny story. Last year, I'll tell this. I, think, uh, I don't know if I've done it. Okay. I won't tell that. So, someone can ask me later. Okay, I'll tell you. Anyways, <laughs> after Easter, the Reese eggs were 10 cents a piece, like on clearance. So I bought 50 of them. <laughs> I gave some of them away. Uh, but right now at home, I've got a pack of Reese cups in the fridge. I like them cooled off, and I want to savor it. I want to wait for just the right moment, right? It hasn't been the right moment yet. I want to savor that. I want to peel off that wrapper. I want to see it not stick to the wrapper. Some of you can experience the joy of that. You know it's the perfect Reese cup. When it doesn't stick, there's no greasy residue. It's, it's all hidden inside. You savor it. You, 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 you wait for that. And then I like to take some small bites of it, at least four or five. I'm rejoicing in that, Right? Why would we rejoice in a Reese cup but not in a doctrine of Christ? Why is it enough to say, thank you for being a good shepherd? That's not rejoicing in the Lord. I mean, that, that might be fine if all you got is a second. But savor that. Think about it. He laid down his life for his sheep, for me who had gone his own way. The good shepherd will never stop shepherding my soul. I will never not be his sheep. He called and I heard him. He's disciplined me. He's corrected me. He's guided me. He restores my soul. Psalm 23 is an example of rejoicing in the Lord as shepherd. Now, as I've rejoiced in the Lord more intentionally, my soul has been lightened. I have felt more joy, even at times. I haven't burst into song, okay? You're, you're not always going to say, best quiet time ever. Right? You may not burst into song. It may not be euphoria. But you may feel. Now, you should do this even if you don't feel it. But in my experience doing this, my, I have had more smiles as I've rejoiced in the Lord intentionally than ever when I don't. And it might just be, be the slightest curling of my lip up in a smile. The slightest feeling of relief, but it has been feeling. For you, it may be feeling just even the, the, the little bit of God's rays of his sun warming you. It may not be, you may not be hot yet, but you, but you feel it a little warm. You may feel the first rustle of the leaves in your soul as the wind of refreshment begins to blow. Right? It's not everything it could be. It's maybe not everything that it once was. But, but you feel more joy. You may see the very dim light under the door at the end of the hallway. Rejoicing in the Lord can be like smelling a meal you haven't eaten. You, you enter the room and you smell it. Is that as good as eating it? No, right? Is smelling still enjoying it, though? Still enjoying it. And I just bring that up to say, it doesn't have to be 
full-fledged euphoria to say you're rejoicing in the Lord. That God's gracious to, 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 to give, give even these small hints of your soul being warmed as you look at these truths. Now, would it be better to have full joy? But let's be honest, we're not going to have full joy until we get to heaven, right? The fullness of joy isn't until the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we will forever perfectly rejoice in the Lord. Everything that we experience here is just a shadow of that. So whether you have an itsy-bitsy shadow or more of like an inch-long shadow, you know, in heaven it's going to be, it's going to be I guess shadow is a negative thing, a little bit of light, right? And, and, but in heaven it's going to be the full light. So even if you're not in a full-blown full state of joy, this kind of expectant meditation is obedience to the command to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I don't know how you imagine the scene of Paul and Silas singing in prison. I imagine two badly bleeding men who've had a supernatural and spontaneous joy that bursts into song despite the torture that they've just experienced, right? Honestly, it feels more like a scene from a musical than history. Right? You just, you, just, you just cut to the point where they're just singing in prison. But perhaps the song that they sing, those hymns, was the overflow of spirit-empowered work to rejoice in the Lord. Remember, Paul talks about that work. It's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Maybe it was effort flowing from conviction that they needed to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I don't know. We're just speculating. He doesn't say, right? Maybe it was a musical scene. Or maybe it was work. Perhaps we can imagine Silas looks at Paul and says, Paul, you know what we need to do, right? We need to rejoice in the Lord. So you go first. And Paul says, you're right, Silas. I got to tell you, I don't feel like it. I'm sore. I'm bleeding. I'm kind of discouraged, but I'll start. You can imagine these two men in the middle of the night while chained in stocks, leaning forward so that they're oozing back, doesn't stick to the wall behind them, going back and forth, telling what they most love about Jesus Christ. You can imagine them reaching into Old Testament passages, and like a rich one, like Isaiah 53, and maybe Paul starts by quoting, he says, he was despised forsaken of men, which would have been a comfort in their state, right? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And Paul says, you know, that's exactly what I used to think. I would have been in the crowd shooting crucify him. I know because I persecuted his church. I used to think that Jesus deserved to be crucified. But Silas says, wait, Paul. Brother, don't stop there. Keep going in Isaiah. And then Silas picks up. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The, chastising, the, cha the chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused iniquity of us all to fall on him. Paul, Silas reminds him, Jesus willingly took your transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And now you're forgiven, Paul, and I'm forgiven. And so you can imagine them going back and forth, 
reminding each other passage after passage, turning over truth after truth as they choose to rejoice in the Lord, as they begin to feel joy despite their physical condition. So much joy that after a while, they do sing. I think that's a picture of what it means for us to rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this command that you've given in your word. We know, Lord, that your commands are good, that they are the overflow of you being a good God. We don't have to look at this uh, command and shy away from it, Lord. We do confess, Lord, that we are prone to rejoice in so many things. And we confess, Lord, how guilty we can be of rejoicing in other things, intentionally choosing not to think about you, intentionally not choosing to think about your son, but getting back online or eating something or turning on the television. Not that any of those things are wrong, Lord, but we confess that we do that because we don't want to rejoice in you because there's so many reasons for that, Lord. Father, we, we, we are humbled by this command, and yet, Lord, we confess its goodness. And we thank you that if we are in your son, that we can obey this command. We thank you, Father, that your son is praiseworthy, that we can rejoice in him, that he is a, 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 a buffet of good news, that there's no end to all of the, the riches that we could be exploring, that he's a bank vault with, with, with unmeasurable riches. Lord, so help us, Father, to be faithful, to, to be faithful, to take one of these, these, these jewels out and to examine it, and then to take out another one, and, and to even do this in faith, believing that you will warm our hearts, Lord. We long for the day when we will be with you. Lord, I know I've got brothers and sisters here who are hanging on for that day uh, where it's been a dark time. Lord, I pray, Father, regardless of our, of, of our feelings, regardless of our circumstances, for all of those who are in your son, that we would work hard at rejoicing, that we'd be encouraging one another, that this kind of dialogue is what we'd be doing when we get together, that we would just spend some time with a brother or sister talking about how good your son is. Please, Lord, help us to be faithful to rejoice in you, that, that, that the whole world would know how precious Christ is. In Jesus' name, amen.